Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to another Top 10 Debate. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Hamflet from What Culture, here to discuss essential AEW matches for new fans. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only discuss AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, but also Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0. Pay-per-views, we have interviews, more roundtable discussions like this one, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Mark Hamlet to discuss his list, 10 essential AEW matches for new fans, which is up at whatculture.com. We will be back this afternoon, of course, to review AEW Dynamite Grand Slam, but I thought this could fill a little hole before we get to that. And it's a, I would normally ask, oh, what was the catalyst for all this? But it's fairly obvious, uh, and we've had an experience of this recently with AEW bringing a lapsed fan from What Culture back into wrestling in the form of Scott Tailford from What Culture Gaming. Go and check out the What Culture Gaming podcast if you want to uh, listen to that sort of thing. But it is uh, something that's happened more and more. You know, CM Punk and, and Brian Danielson and all the others have sort of grabbed the headlines and got people to pay attention to this promotion. But it's the matches that keep people watching. Absolutely, yeah. This list sort of sprung to life from one of several joyous conversations with uh, Scott Tailford, also of this parish, because it is nice, as a wrestling fan, to speak to somebody who has at least... Look, I'm not one of them wrestling fans, and I've never have been, um, that has tried to force wrestling upon people, and I include, regrettably, my own children in that. They've not particularly gravitated towards it, so I'm not going to force it upon them. I'm very much a subscriber to Paul Heyman's belief that you either get it or you don't, and no explanation is necessary if you do. The magic is real to you, then you will understand why pro wrestling can hook you. And that's exactly who Scott was. Like a lot of people, he maybe came on board during the Attitude Era or he had various dalliances with WWE because of their like enormous success in the UK over the years. But then, like just as many people, it was a fad. Loads of people. You'll have encountered these people, Will Bond. I'm sure plenty of people listen to this. Will have encountered people that had wrestling in their lives for the shortest period, ask questions like... Is The Undertaker still around? <laughs> or, you know, questions to that effect. I remember The Rock or whatever. Um, yeah, I had someone over the summer say, oh, The Rock's coming back. Is he going to be world champion? And I was like, bloody hope not. Yeah, like, well, and it's like, well, where have you heard these two stories? Because I need them for a source for a news video. <laughs> like, le- legitimately. Like, the, it's, and that's fine. Again, I'm not really into that 
like mentality of harassing somebody if they've mentioned wrestling once at a wedding. Well, that's going to be our conversation for the next six hours. Um, it's got to be about a shared understanding. And that's kind of what this is, because in Scott, and I guess in the what you would like to think would be the increase in lapsed fans return to AEW based on the viewership growth and the consistent like positive demographics for AEW's television and pay-per-view buys, is that the people that are coming to AEW don't need the mechanics of why wrestling works explained to them. What they perhaps need, or want, I would like to think, mm-hmm. is a primer on what they might have missed. And because AEW is only two years old, it's like very doable. You know, imagine coming to WWE today and all the nostalgia they lean upon. We joke about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Imagine watching a Raw Legends night and trying to piece together the puzzle of WWE's past when IRS... He's sharing, <laughs> he's sharing a beer with Aksana. Yeah. Like, where the, do you even start? The network is this amazing, luxurious archive, but it's also cavernous. So it's, you know, it's likely that if one particular wrestler got you into watching WWE, you're going to search the thumbnails for another one of their matches. And that might be your mm. way through this archive that you will never complete. And I say that as this psychopathic completist of WWE history, <laughs> I will still never complete the WWE network. I had the same sort of experience with Bullet Club because I sort of right, came into that yeah. quite late. Mm-hmm. And I everyone's t- Bullet Club, Bullet Club, Bullet Club t-shirts everywhere. And I was very much, it's WWE. And that was my you know wrestling mm-hmm. consumption for the longest period of time. And then New Japan did a brilliant YouTube series yeah. uh, like called The History of Bullet Club. Like Each episode was about 10 minutes long and it went through the formation and mm. AJ Styles and Balor and you know the, the, the elite, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like that, but for something like AEW, because like you say, it's impossible to do that with WWE. It is, yeah. Like that's, a, and again, people want to get into that. That's fine, but it's a, it's a lost cause in terms of trying to trap. I, I feel very fortunate that I got into it in like 1990, where like effectively you were dealing with about five years of Vince McMahon's vision of WWE that was catch upable, and we're kind of in that sweet spot with AEW now. And I think yeah. it's one of the reasons why you would like to think there'll be continued growth is because that you can. Um, you can tune in and watch a Dynamite currently and think, wow, this is hot. And wow, I recognize him or I recognize her or whatever it is that's hooked you back in, which it seems to be doing for people. But because this company is only two years old and and because it books long term, a lot of the characters on like last night's Dynamite, as we record this on a Thursday, are living the lives that have been continuous over the past two mm-hmm. years. Um, we're recording this shortly after, and you know we're going to talk about this in other podcasts. Cody Rhodes was booed in front of an yep. audience. If you are brand new to last night's Dynamite, you might want to ask the question: Didn't he form all this? How have <laughs> we how have we got here? Because AEW's the storytelling promotion. Watching the history will tell you how we got here, and I think that's just what's tremendous about the fact that it's still so young. You can absolutely. It might not be point A to point B, but if you were to listen to this podcast or read the list or if it becomes a video or just speak to another friend about AEW and they were to tell you about a match, you would be able to get from that match to something you were going to watch this week. Mm. That is That in particular is impossible in WWE. That is absolutely impossible. If you, if you start watching this week, it was like, let's say you're one of the weird guys that was like, this Alexa Bliss character is pretty amazing. Like, how did we get to this? Where did start mm. like well I, I can't show me alexa bliss's best match well, okay i give you this like banger she had in 2018 or something or like look at a development in nxt who's that where's alexa bliss you want to see a best match where's lily where's the <laughs> where's the swing 
It's like, I mean, for a start, it's like, I don't want to go for a point with you anymore. But also, <laughs> but also like, where, where on earth do you go with that character's history? Like, you couldn't even make sense of it. Well, I don't need to search on the internet. I think you've had enough internet <laughs> searching for <laughs> one day. Like, at least stick to a Wikipedia because the police won't knock on. <laughs> like, the, uh, and, and AEW was totally different for all the right reasons. And I just thought, again, it was part of a fun thing. Um, myself, Sidgwick, were giving Scott matches, things to go and track down, things like that it formed such a perfect list because there wasn't anything in this list and others that I was like desperate to include but couldn't because we kept it to 10 that like were betrayed by other things that have happened since. Nothing that we were talking about in 2021 was betraying anything that was occurring mm. back in 2019, 2020 and that includes a pandemic. So it's just, it's remarkable that we're still at the point that we can do that. It's, an, it's, a, it's, it's a great time, Will Vaughn, <laughs> to be an AEW fan. Yeah, with that in mind, I will plug uh, Scott's video. It's on uh, What Culture Wrestling's YouTube channel. It's called How AEW Made Me Love Wrestling Again. Go and check it out uh, and go and chat to Scott on, on Twitter as well because it is a great story uh, and like a personification of what we're about to discuss. Now, normally... Awesome, awesome um, video in terms of just like euphoric, positive wrestling. Passion. People claim that there isn't enough positive wrestling content out there. Maybe because sometimes the products don't inspire positivity. If you want some of that, it is spilling over in Scott's video. Yeah. Um, now, normally, like I say, with these sorts of podcasts, we go through a top 10 list and I'll sort of cherry pick certain things. The intriguing thing about this, and I'm obviously going to encourage people to go and check out the whole thing, 10 essential AW matches for new fans from Michael Hamlet at whatculture.com. The interesting thing about this list is it's not the 10th best to the number one best mm. match. It's chronological so we are going to jump around a fair yeah. bit here and you know it's not ranking them in any way so let's start off at the beginning of your list uh which is weirdly number 10 because that's the way numbers work um <laughs> what was the the first match in terms of dates that you would recommend for a, for a fan wanting to get into AEW Cody Rhodes versus Darby Allen from Fighter Fest 2019. It was after I wrote this list that I had a discussion with Andy Murray um, where he suggested that he would have gone for Cody versus Dustin from Double or Nothing 2019. I don't love that much as much as a lot of people, but I appreciate its significance and importance. It's, of course, when Cody broke the throne and it was AEW's pay-per-view and all that sort of stuff. However, it does sort of almost closed the book on one thing while opening the book on AEW at large. It was about Cody killing the Attitude Era. It was that thing he'd wanted to do in WWE as Stardust, but could never do. And while that is significance to the very existence of AEW, a lot of things are significance, significant to the existence of AEW. Yeah. Bullet Club, you just mentioned it. Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada. Um, a tweet from Dave Meltzer. <laughs> yeah, like one of, one of our colleagues should really do a project on this. Like, it's there's a lot to AEW's like, very existence as we see it today um, that... Cody and Dustin was about that. Cody and Darby Allen, as well as being a great match, and I have no shame in admitting being a kind of introduction to who and what Darby Allen is for a mainstream audience that yeah. hadn't seen him in the independence. And that's what AEW exists to to this day. You're going to get a guy that like a lot of people might not have seen on a, on their biggest possible stage. But not only is it a great match, and it is a really great match, um, Cody was in this mould at the time of very much becoming this saviour-like figure of professional wrestling while still kind of being the cocksure heel, and he was measuring it perfectly. So that plays through this great match. He's kind of underestimating what Darby Allen can bring to the table. So psycholo like, psychologically, it works perfectly. But, and how appropriate is this as we record this, one day after Grand Slam, this match went to a draw. What AEW has been really good at is establishing the rules of its own universe for the benefit of things that you are never going to see until you do. Um, and you'll almost forget about. Yeah, Draws were, it's that Fighter Fest was, if I'm not mistaken, AEW's second 
pay-per-view, its second major show. They did Fight a Fest and Fight for the Fallen oh, right yeah. around the same time that followed Double or Nothing. So I sometimes get those two mixed up, but I'm pretty sure, pretty sure it was um, the second show. And they've just established that matches can go to a time limit draw and they can be satisfying in the process because you've just seen the babyface come so close. Um, so it's established a draw. Brilliant. It is established that Cody, the theoretical ace of the company, can be taken to the limit by a new upstart, which creates a kind of a narrative ideal in AEW that on that one night, anybody can get it done. And that's not in the same way as like a money in the bank cash in or um, a one, two, three kid type moment in WWE because they just don't really deal in that anymore. It's just, it's not a nice enough organization to book a guy like that and then remember that it's happened. So if that happens once, um, Mustafa Ali being a perfect example, Mustafa Ali, my apologies, (laughs) they kind of forget it. So you might cling on to him having that one night where things were so close, but they don't. So it doesn't matter. But this is a different breed of cat. And Darby Allen coming so close on one night opened up this world of possibilities that would be realised in Cody's TNT title run that on one night, you can have that special night. Eddie Kingston going has one of the best nights of his career and he gets signed off the back of it. That's just like one example and there are plenty more. Fuego del Sol builds this kind of like uprising behind a lot of like defeats a lot Mm -hmm. of the time on AEW Dark and comes also close against Miro and gets his deal. All of that is narratively established in Darby Allen running Cody Rose to the limit over 15 minutes. And finally, Darby Allen himself, you make a star in one night, which is certainly ideal, but you create already a legacy tale in AEW, which is, I was this close, I was this close, and then he fights him again, and he loses again, but he was this close, he was this close. The second match was the coffin drop, yeah. the roll-up, if you remember. I was this close, I was this close. You, in one night, on your second pay-per-view, have created something that you were going to get more pay-per-views, more television of, uh, more television out of, and sure enough, this pays off in 2020 when Darby Allen defeats Cody Rhodes on pay-per-view for the TNT title in a banger. Like this has been, and what this does is it builds when you like it builds the stuff around other matches. Um, Jungle Boy and MJF had a match in uh, early 2020, I think it was, that stole the show. And where does your brain go? It goes to Cody versus Darby Allen because you think these two are going to fight again one day, and it's going to be for the TNT belt or it's going to be for the top belt, and we're going to be able to use these matches to track super like superstar track wrestler progression <laughs> through the years. This was such a big universe building moment for AW, and the fact that it was a banger, um, and the fact that a lot of the conversation was taken away from it because of the Sean Spears chair shot after the match. I almost don't want to get into that because that's like a debate, and it was a debate then, and it will continue to be a debate for other podcasts. But they had this match and then hid it underneath the big headline, which I just thought was, wow, you're even thinking of the short term. You're even building Cody and Spears for the next pay-per-view. You've achieved a lot in your 15 and a half, 16 minutes out there, and just a huge amount of respect for it. Yeah, I mean, I've got to agree with that because... For me, you know, I was still I was working for a wrestling promotion, but I still pretty much stayed in my lane in terms of I was very lucky to go to Double or Nothing, for mm. example, and I was like, "Cool, there's Cody and Dustin, and there's Omega and Jericho, and Moxley obviously shows up, makes me look like a twat." <laughs> um, but beyond that, and you know, certain other people, MJF, obviously Hangman Page, for example, you know, I'm still relatively naive in terms of the indie promotions and things like that, and I'm like. Cool, so here's this, from what I've grown up with, small, face-painted guy who puts his body on the line. I'm like, so you're Jeff Hardy, basically, yeah, or yeah. whatever. And then it just so opened my eyes, and it's come to the point now where, it, you know, if you say Darby Allen's wrestling, I'm like, cool. Well, he's a draw, and he's yeah. a draw. Like, that's not just a subjective take of a couple of podcasters. He's a quarter-hour guy. He's a pay-per-view buy-rate guy, over and over again. Like, that's, I'm not even a big Darby Allen guy, but look at the 
look at the numbers that his stuff draws to show to, as evidence of how successful this one match was. Uh, right, let's move on and talk about the best tag team wrestling <laughs> match ever. Uh, and it speaks volumes that people will hear that and may go in two directions here. Your list, which I'm going to encourage people to go and read again at whatculture.com, 10 any essential AW matches for new fans, talks about the very recent All Out 2021 match with the tag titles between the Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks, which was sensational. Mm. But for you and I, that's not the best tag team wrestling match in AW or arguably in wrestling. But certainly in AW for us, it was Revolution 2020. Yeah, um, it's the match that I think came to define what AEW was going to try to be as a wrestling promotion. It's an awesome pro wrestling match. Pick your favorite tag team match ever and stack this one up against it. You know, it's in terms of just like how the, the quality of the work, the suspense, the drama, the thrill ride you're supposed to be taking on over the course of a 20 to 25 minute wrestling match, a tag match especially because of how you can play with the form. It's sublime. It's a God-tier match as a standalone. It's the sort of thing where, and again, I'm not talking about people that don't like wrestling. I'm talking about somebody that understands why they might have liked this one. Something, a feeling that bubbled in when they, when they first saw their favorite wrestler, where you would absolutely show them this and you would sit them down with no prior knowledge of any story and they would get loads out of this because it's so impeccably worked. There's so much to love. The characters give away little clues about who they are. Their build to the final fall is just electrifying, and every fan in that building is dying for it as well. Um, so it's great for all those reasons. And again, I don't know if I'm just preaching to the converted here because a lot of people listening to this will know everything that I'm about to say and everything we've wax lyrical in Get the Tables and in pay-per-view and TV reviews. But this is such a key chapter in what remains, as of this recording, the biggest story that AEW are still telling. Um, at the time, this was very much fractures in the elite. That sounds weird to say now, doesn't it? Be because Hangman Page is so take is so distanced from it. But of course, the entire Hangman Page Kenny Omega arc that began in 2019 with the two of them having separate singles runs that hadn't gone as they'd hoped. They came together to kind of make the best of a bad situation. They become tag team champions. They never quite figure out the formula but they have to test themselves against the best team in the business in the form of the Young Bucks. Kenny Omega's friendship with the Young Bucks is tested. Kenny Omega revealing then, as early as February 2020, before he turned in December, that his loyalty lied to other people beyond Hangman Page in the form of the, the one-count kick-out when they use Kurt Rabushi's finisher on him. Their stubbornness, how dare you use my golden lover's move against me, when he wouldn't do that for Hangman Page. There are so many... Uh, layers, there are levels to all of this that, and again, I, like, I don't want to underwrite those, but there are so many layers and levels to this that a lapsed fan doesn't even need. And that's what's so great about this because a lapsed fan might watch this once. Scott Tailford might think, I've really enjoyed what I've seen of Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks in the month and a half I've been watching uh, AEW. Hangman Page so, sure seems like a cool guy. You show him this, you're like, wow, yeah, they really are the wrestlers that I, I knew about. I genuinely believe this match would probably convince him to go back and watch the three or four dynamites that led up to it or be Googling what's the deal with Hangman Page and Kenny Omega and looking for the little clues in being the elite and then that helps you travel forward in the story. It makes you probably want to watch more tag title defences by Page and Omega. How did these lose the belts? How did the books win them? Where did we get to where we're going? And then if you're tying that up with where we're at in dynamite currently, it's Hangman Page is hitting the old dusty trail because he doesn't think he can beat Omega. <laughs> it's... It's everything everybody has ever said it is. And I think it gets better the longer the Page Omega story goes. Mm. This match grows in stature in, I'm going to use that dreaded word, law, as the longer the Kenny Omega hangman page match is held off of because this is such 
an integral chapter in the story. I would argue maybe outside of the very moment that a tired and exhausted Hangman Page fell to Kenny to hold him up after they lost the belts and Kenny stepped back, I would say this is probably the most important chapter in the story. Mm. Um, and it's because it features the Young Bucks alongside them. It's And it's just a sublime wrestling match, isn't it? And even if you don't, not to spoil too much, but even if you don't know the history of Omega Page and the Young Bucks, wrestling fans know when something, i.e. a turn or a shock yeah, oh, thing's about yeah, to happen. Yeah, uh-huh. and the, the one they give you at page, the end of this match. Yeah. yeah, the bit on the hand on the ropes and the commentators sort of acknowledging and sort mm. of no-selling it. It's just, it's just perfection. We're not going to have time to talk about it here. So I will also mention Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page at Full Gear 2020. Oh, yes. But you know what this match was for me, this revolution match? Not only is it my favorite tag team wrestling match ever, mm. ever, ever, ever. This is the match for me, and, and I'm, I'm going to explain it in a second, that made me get Kenny Omega, right? Mm. Because... I didn't watch Kenny Omega when I started at What Culture. I barely knew him. I knew his name. I heard big things about him, of course. And then as, as I was working there, people, you know, it was probably in the midst, actually, if I remember back rightly, of his insane, you know, Wrestle Kingdom, New Japan sort of run. But that was informed by people telling me, you need to watch Omega Okada 1, 2, 3, whatever it may yeah, be, yeah. because this is one of the best wrestling matches ever. So I'd always go into those matches with the mindset of this is going to be a great wrestling match. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the best wrestling match I've ever seen. Whereas this, I went in informed with what had preceded it, of course, but with no one telling me, you have to love this match. If you don't love this match, you're not really a wrestling fan. You're not yeah. really a wrestling journalist or anything like that. This opened my eyes because I wasn't being told by someone else. It's the it's the show, not tell thing. Isn't 100%, it? So yeah. I was, wasn't being told by someone else, this is great. This Okada storyline's great because of the, it's informed by the first match and whatever. And I watched all that and went, yeah, that is great. But I already had been told. Oh, yeah. It's it's like music, isn't it? Like, I love getting a great recommendation, but there's nothing better than finding it yourself. And then thinking about, well, how can I recommend that to somebody that wouldn't feel like, that makes it feel like it's theirs as well. This was yours. Mm. This was your Kenny Omega, wasn't it? And I think that's like, and again, I think like, I'm envious of AEW fans that are only getting him now. <laughs> like, as we speak, 24 hours on from the first match with Brian Danielson, like, imagine if that experience that you've just described, really quite emotionally, like, when I think about it as well, because I think about the conversations in the office we would have first had, because mm-hmm. we would have met in 2017, so him and Okada would have wrestled twice. And think of the stuff that would come after that fact. Yeah. Like, somebody last night had their first moment like that with Kenny Omega, and that's why he's, this, why he's credited as this guy that thinks in such, such a big way mm. about pro wrestling, because it sticks with you, doesn't it? Like, that feeling that... A very special Kenny Omega match generates. I didn't just stick with the above. That's that's his appeal. That's why it would have never worked in WWE. You're not getting that out of three minutes on Raw, and he does the Terminator dive, and then Michael Cole says it rolls on. Yeah, you know, it's just not happening, is it? Like it would have never worked. Steady runs down the ramp, kills Brian Daniels, yeah. and they go, "Well, is he alive? <laughs> yeah. See you in a few minutes." See you in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Right, let me take you back next, Michael Hamflit, to August 2020, uh, specifically August 22nd, 2020. And I know what you're thinking of. Wasn't that when Pat McAfee wrestled uh, Adam Cole? (laughs) And it was. It was great. It was was really good. Because, and the reason why I say that is because that weekend was meant to be, and it's certain, you know, was to a certain extent, was meant to be all about TakeOver 30, you know, the changing of the guard at the top, Karrion Cross being announced as this, you know, new NXT champion. uh, And and like I say, Pat McAfee uh, doing that to me and you and everyone watching. But just before that, there was a Saturday night dynamite, and you thought, that's nice. Mm. And then Brody Lee destroyed Cody Rhodes. And I just watched as not only this happened, but the conversation completely shifted. And all anyone could talk about on Twitter was this match. Yeah. And it's obviously, it's now tinged with so much sadness. And anytime you say Brody's name, it's so like, devastating for fans, but it's a hell of a legacy, this match. I get goosebumps thinking about it now. Um, yeah, of course, it tinged with tragedy. You have to see it, and you ha- and obviously you feel it completely as well. Um, AEW, and again, this it does go back to the Cody Derby match, but it's what they are really good at, and they they never tell you it, and they always show you it, and this was what... This, for me, up until um, CM Punk's return, and even then, that's cheating. I feel a bit weird saying that because what happened is you brought a guy in from the cold. You desperately wanted to be inside all along. This was a pro. This was a pure pro wrestling moment because there was no reality to this. This was a storyline. This was this was fake fighting done at, in the very best way. And I, like, so I still think this is the best moment in AEW history. I think, but I, like, I, my whole body was vibrating when CM Punk debuted. But it's different. It's hard to articulate why they're different, but they mm. are. This is the best pure. Pro wrestling as it's supposed to be moment, I think, in AEW history. Um, because it's... Not only does it just use the rules of pro wrestling, it doesn't need a guy that's fallen out with an opposition seven years ago and you brought him back in his hometown. It, it's, you know, this is a storyline featuring a guy pretending to be a cult leader and a guy pretending to wear a fake belt and it matter and all that. Like, this is, this is what you watch this sort of stuff for. And it's just... I mean, it's absolutely hideous. But it's beautiful in how hideous it is. It is this disgusting, violent domination of Cody Rhodes that, again, and look, people have often given me a bit of grief for when I'm critical of Cody, but I'm mentioning him twice here as a guy that does a thing that then tells you so much about the way the entire company operates. It offers you a snapshot of something that could happen on any given week. And I don't just mean with Cody because he kind of very effectively repeated the spot with Malachi Black 
um, in Daly's place. Again, that's when Malachi Black debuted. But it's the fact that this could happen to anybody. Like, AEW is the place where this danger lurks around every corner for a baby face. And no matter what you think or hope or feel, all it would take would be for a situation like Brody Lee versus Cody Rhodes to happen to your favourite wrestler. And wouldn't that just be terrible? The presentation of it is impeccable. So Cody has been this fighting TNT champion, but he's been getting cockier and cockier and cockier. And he's kind of like blowing off some of Arn's notes. Remember when he was doing the push-ups mid-match? And Arn's like, beat him. Get on with beating him. Because he was feeling, he was beating a stranger every week. Somebody mm. was walking through the door into his house and he was sending them packing as the remaining, as a retaining champion. Warhorse, 10 minutes and then... I, yeah, like, yeah. there was a kind of like a fun patronising tone, to the, like a nice thing. Ruffling of the hair, yeah. Giving a guy a job in a pandemic is a nice thing, but absolutely, hair ruffling sort of feeling. Premier League team playing League One in the Cup, that sort of thing. And then Brody Lee, who we've seen, basically John Moxley, which is also in this list, had to like drive him to hell to beat him. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that match on its own strength, um, you had to drag him to hell to beat him. Um, but the idea is, is that I, you've lost a big title match. Like, Cody, you fucking idiot. Did you just ruffle Brody Lee's hair? Mm. Like, that's effectively what's being told here. So Brody destroys him in two and a half minutes. Cody Rhodes <laughs> thinks he's facing Luke Harper, basically. Yeah. Okay, I, this is going to be a tough match. I'm really going to have my work out for me here on, on a Saturday night. I don't <laughs> normally work Saturdays. Like, he's gone in. Completely misjudged the situation and been made to suffer for it. At no point, despite the story I've just told, which is what the one AEW were telling, does Brody Lee become a babyface out of all of this. <laughs> this is vile. This is sickening. This is disgusting. This is like, how could you do that to my boy? Like this is, and it's informed by our experiences, WWE fans as well. Because I was watching that, going a bit exactly the same with the Malachi Black match. He's going to have to make one hell of a comeback here to recover yeah. from this beating that started this match. And then it just ends. The, because the, of course it does. It's like watching someone in a in an MMA fight, to use another sport that I'm a huge fan of, mm. get clipped early on in the match and think, oh, they have to recover pretty... Oh, they've been knocked out. Do you know like the shocked face that the fan pulls when... The, the famous one when The Undertaker gets pinned. Mm-hmm. That shocked face occurs as the referee's hand hits three. Your shocked face comes on about a minute and a half into this and it doesn't stop until the show goes off the air. Not even after the match, it's all the post-match as well. Like halfway through the match, you'll be like, he's killing him. And you're just like, yeah, you're just staring in disbelief. And then he hits his finisher. Your jaw isn't yet off the floor. And then he pins him. And your jaw isn't yet off the floor. And then all the post-match happens. And I want to speak on the post-match as Mm. well. Because let's remember that Cody carried around what I think is the most beautiful piece of tin in wrestling history. (laughs) Because the world was sad. Everybody was sad. AW against the odds, was putting forth a pretty great weekly product in a silent building in Jacksonville. And he had this belt that was unfinished. And it was like, why is everything so rubbish? <laughs> but he took that piece of tin. And like, what have we always said, you know, about like, it's matches, it's men that make titles, not titles that make men. And he made that belt mean so much because everybody across the wrestling world wanted to fight for it. Even if it was just the one night a week on a Wednesday, you know, people wanted that thing and it, like that became something you aspired to not Brody nope <laughs> that thing was smashed up in a bag and he busted Cody's face with it <laughs> like Brody Lee saw that differently he saw that thing as just part of the patronising Cody Rhodes aura he was like you're gonna come at me with this piece of shit you've been carrying around <laughs> in your waist and try, <laughs> try and sell me on it like it's a piece of gold and it's a piece of shit I'm gonna take that I'm gonna break it into even smaller pieces <laughs> I'm gonna break your skull with it and then just to top it off so, all of this has happened. Brandy is trying to cover her fallen husband. 
Dark Order have got a woman now. Yeah. Six energy on her. She destroys Brandy. And the Dark Order is made. Like, this is even bigger than Brody versus Cody. This is, you know that worst thing in this entire company that we've already failed to rehab? We've just done it. We've actually just done it. Like, a Bloody miracle. creepers. I was there when they showed oh, up the first man. time. They like, made a chair for Evil Uno. <laughs> yeah. And we went, what the? And, like, it was the thing of also, you know, I wasn't as knowledgeable then, so I didn't know the Super Smash Brothers or anything like that. No. Right? I was just like, you know, like, I think I, if, I might be mistaken, but I'm fairly certain that was the same night Proud and Powerful came up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember them. It was the era when you needed Excalibur's commentary to be coming through the loudspeaker for an AWD yeah. to work. That's the original Death Dealer Luther. <laughs> and I was just like, who are these guys with their weird little... Did it over again? Uh, do you know what reminded me of? The, the, blade, you know, the little, like, goobers that the Power Rangers have to fight. Yeah. They have to fight the big yes. boss. Yeah. I was just like, who the... The putty men. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was who they were. And I was like, oh. And then we had that, what was it, December Dynamite one. Oh, the, the end of 2019. Punches, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I was like, that's dead. Like, the destroy the elite. And I was like, go back and listen to them podcasts. I've always, like, tried to maintain that I'm the good wrestling shield first. NXT ruled at the time, like, they were burning through everything. But it was, like, really, really hot television every single week. And then, like, Dynamite's on this side, and I'm going, like, I'll watch Dynamite second this week. Like, uh, that feeling existed for probably about a month. I can't, if, imagine if you'd gone back then and said to you, you're going to be there in, a, what, a year and a half's time, going, stop fighting, Dark Order. I don't like seeing you argue and break up yeah, and stuff. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, in that, one, it happened here. in that one moment, you were like, oh, right, yeah, now it's not just vignettes of people putting posters up and leaning on people's weaknesses and sort of, you know, that got a little bit over, but you were also like, eh. It was all like kind of like cutesy hashtags, yeah. wasn't it, where really the message was suddenly, AEW is like, <laughs> that, that was like, the, the finally they had a message that you could cling on to. Right, we're bringing this to more of uh, the current day. And one uh, area that we haven't spoken about yet is women's wrestling in AEW, because you and I have had an issue for this with this for quite some time. Um, and it's still, to be honest, not 100% fixed. Yeah. But one person that personifies the rehabilitation of AEW's women's wrestling is Britt Baker. And she had an insane lights out match with Thunder Rosa, who deserves just as much acknowledgement as well, of course, in March of this year. And it's informed almost everything going forward. We were, we were already crowning her the women's champion after this match, and she didn't have the title. Yeah, Britt Baker is like beer in Springfield. It's the cause of and solution to all of AEW's women's <laughs> wrestling problems, isn't it? And I don't mean that particularly critical, critically of her, but the massive issues they've had with the lack of exposure for the women, um, the lack of intent, I think that's always been the thing. Like there was always, we would sit and we would debate it on podcasts sometimes. There was always like rational stuff like reps and like availability of talent and things like that, especially during the pandemic. It was like... There were problems from the off. The pandemic absolutely made them worse. But even when it appeared that they were trying, it was like, and I still think this is the case. There's a proper one step forward, two steps back energy to women's wrestling in AEW. Like the tag tournament happens. It's on YouTube. Like <laughs> they're half it's going to be in Japan. It's in a weird warehouse. Like I appreciate that some things can't just be the way you want them to be. Don't do them things. Deliver something fully formed. You know, like tell a secondary story in the women's division and actually have it be something of worth and f of pride rather than, you know, they're touching upon getting a secondary title. I think that's going to be a huge help because when Serena D was walking around there with the NWA belt, it was more interesting than what Hikaru Shida was being given for the AEW title, you know. But Britt Baker is very much this character and defines all of this because she's the one, if you go to 2019, she's the female lead 
of AEW. She's on the posters of the baby-faced dentist. She's a dentist. Um, <laughs> what she's, she think? she's in the matches that aren't that great. She's cutting the promos that aren't that interesting. And she's, she's not the reason for, but when things aren't particularly clicking in the Britt Baker segments, AEW at large looks at that and thinks, last quarter hour it is then. You know, and that kind of like becomes this thing that they can't get out of. And, you know, you've got Chris Harrington looking at all of his graphs and oh, it's funny that the rating dips. And then it becomes, well, there's a hole in my bucket, isn't there? Because unless you do this first, unless you train fans to think differently, you're not going to get the rating. But then if you don't get the rating, you're not going to train the fans to think differently. And it just becomes this cycle. Britt Baker turns heel, is awesome. And then all of a sudden, there is at long last a character. And this is so important, a character that you can invest in. I found that there was a bit of, you don't get this very often in AEW, it was a bit of bad faith praise about Hikaru Shida's title reign when it became time for her to lose in it. Remember, there was an Io Shirai graphic about this title run when she was going to lose to Raquel Gonzalez. Yeah, NXT was pretty rubbish in 2020. But you looked at all the people she'd beat and then you started remembering the matches and you were like, God, thank God for Io Shirai. Because mm. those were like lights in the dark on NXT. I, I can't say the same for Hikaru Shida's year with that belt, quite honestly. Like, there was a couple of bangers in there. There um, was the shock of her beating Nyla Rose and that's about it in my memory. They got there in that brawl as well. Um, but that was always the case. It was like, oh, they've, they've got their bits and bobs, you know, but it just, it never felt as epic as it should have done for it being a year because AEW didn't book it as such. But Britt Baker's run to winning that title did. Mm. Britt Baker's um, feud, albeit the match didn't work, the feud with Big Swole was like the highlight of the week a lot of the time. Yeah. We were like pissing ourselves at how great some of their stuff was together. Um, everything Britt Baker was developing as a character, as a heel, just worked, just clicked. She was one of those characters that you couldn't wait for fans to return just to get to respond because you could tell. Like, not to blow her own trumpets, but, like, you knew that fans were going to respond to this gimmick. You could feel something in the air about it. And it led right up to one of those very last dynamites that didn't take place in front of a full crowd. Might have been a dailies, half full, where she made, bravely, that comparison to Steve Austin. If the last era was 316, this is DMD. And it's one thing to say that ahead of winning the title against Yukara Shida. It's another to have already shown that and proven it by bleeding for your art, which is what she did in this match against Thunder Rosa. This went on last, which we've seen with WWE is something that you kind of have to trumpet. You kind of have to tell people, like, look, pat us on the back. We're putting women on last. <laughs> Aren't we good? Aren't we progressive? But then it puts this unfortunate pressure on the performers themselves, who, of course, want this spot. But you basically just said... Right, well, you better deliver. Mm. <laughs> People fold their arms and go, let's see this be a main Yeah, event, otherwise you're going back to the quarter hour. So the women are in a kind of no-win situation, and yet they go out and they deliver this. It's an unbelievable match. It's the kind of violence that, I don't know if I'm even best placed to say this. Hey, white dude on a wrestling podcast, thanks for being such an authentic and unique voice. <laughs> but it feels like um, WWE, and I remember a conversation that CM Punk revealed that he had with Vince McMahon, where he said, uh, how about that Ronda Rousey? He says, Phil, you know they do women's UFC now. It's barbaric. And it took a long time for Vince to even come around that. Remember the fight like a girl stuff that Michelle McCool was bollocked for and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's, it's taken a long time for them to even get around to the idea that you could have, say, Sasha and Bailey in a cell and it'd be that violent, you know, and that'd be okay. But blood is, is something that they absolutely will not cross. They won't cross it anyway, but they would certainly never cross it for women, would they? Imagine if they brought the blade back for special occasions. I don't mean the wrestler. I know it's all some dynamite. Um, they would never introduce no. him to a women's match, would they? You just you know that seventy-six-year-old Vince thinks women cutting themselves. This is not human cockfighting. What? Yeah, this is this is sports entertainment. So it did matter that they bled and they paid the price for this. It did matter that they went as violent as they went. 
Britt Baker, the expert at finding the hard camera, found it over and over again. This match is littered with iconic visuals, iconic capital M moments. And again, because I always feel like I want to talk about booking when we're celebrating AW matches, Thunder Rosa won. Yeah. But it doesn't fucking count, does it? So you have basically, in the in, you have readied the champion-elect by having her get beat so that when she wins that belt, you have a rightful champion lurking in the shadows that cannot get back up the rankings to get the shot with the knowledge that both wrestlers have that she can do this. She can absolutely beat you. What an inspired story beat that is. Britt Baker is going to run through opponent after opponent in the back of her mind knowing that the real threat lies in Thunder Rosa because it's actually happened to her. This is not a speculative thing. The objective evidence is there that Thunder Rosa has battered, blooded, and beaten you. And she can't get close to the title because <laughs> it didn't count in the rankings. Like, inspired, end-to-end inspired. Yeah, really great stuff. And, and like you say, the beginning of the rehabilitation of that AEW women's division. Let's conclude, Michael Hamflet, with the most recent entry on this list. And number one, although I sense... It'd be up there for being number one if you were doing the best matches for AW fans anyway, because it's the return to the wrestling ring after seven years, and he didn't look like he'd been missing for a day, of CM Punk, who faced a man we started this list with, Darby Allen, at All Out 2021. I'm not sure if you know this, but there were some callbacks in this match. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, let, me know, let me know your thoughts on on what went down here, because, I mean, it's, it's one of the best pay-per-views ever. It was, you know, argued it was the best pay-per-view. I'm still not really sure about where I'm settling on this. Mm. But for a match that had so much pressure on it, a person who had so much pressure on him, I mean, it just, it was astonishing. Look in my eyes, what do you see? Tears, because I'm ugly crying. <laughs> over and over again. You're like, you'd have to educate me on these callbacks. I don't know what you're referencing there. I'd be very keen to learn a bit more about it sometime. Um, yeah. CM Punk versus Darby Allen. It's a nice way to end the podcast because it does. Let's do that bit first, actually. Um, what have you done in two years? You've taken a guy nobody knew and you've established him and you've established the idea that a guy can go on a journey in AEW that feels completely real to any line of work. You would like to think after two years in, your, in a certain job, you would get better and you would get stronger and you would become more confident in your abilities. Darby Allen has gone from the guy that Cody Rose didn't take seriously to the guy that CM Punk wants to fight in his return to wrestling. That in itself should explain why these two matches. I mean, this is not me trying to pat myself on the back. A kind of such perfect bookends, yeah, oh, you know, for, for this for this idea that like you really can get into this product and understand how it tells these stories. They are perfect bookends to one another. I've always fantasy booked Cody versus Punk because I love the idea that Cody like he sat on a ramp. Look what I did, and all mm. you did was sit on a ramp and whinge about your job. What did I do when I left? So you could even tie Darby Allen at that one day, couldn't you? Yeah. You came back, Punk, and who did you fight? You fight the kid. You fought the kid that I made, you know, with my company. Like that's what you did. You came into my yard, all that sort of stuff. And that match, this match, can exist for that down the road. But of its on its own terms, what a beautiful, beautiful match. Um, said it on the podcast at the time. It's the thing. It's the take I keep going back to, especially now when I know not everything's been done because wrestlers will keep reinventing the wheel and reinventing the form. I don't think there's anything better than seeing the basics being done at their best. Honestly, I don't. Because this was the pay-per-view where somebody put pins in a shoe, (laughs) because this was a pay-per-view where Tony Khan booked two shock surprise arrivals, one after another, (laughs) to ensure one of the greatest pay-per-view main events of all time, there is something extra special about two guys working at Headlock, isn't there? And I really mean working a headlock, a struggle 
a headlock into a hammerlock, back into a headlock. CM Punk rocking his head back into the chin of Darby Allen. Darby Allen realizing, God, this guy's grip's tight. Is he, I know he's been in the gym working those arms for seven for seven years, even if he's not been working wrestling matches. Like every detail of this match, as gorgeous as it was, and we know some of them were in tribute to one of the great raw matches in Bret Hart versus One Two Three Kid, and indeed to both of their wrestling styles. Because yes, Punk is a perfect Bret, and Darby is a perfect kid in this um, in this uh, comparison because you've got the young guy and you've got the older veteran. But look at what else Bret and the One Two Three Kid were. Brett was the complete professional, the guy that CM Punk has tried to model himself off. Darby Allen, what do we always say about the one, two, three kid? He was the litmus test. CM Punk has taken the litmus test on the guy that he believes to be the locker room litmus test on night one. So that comparison bleeds through, even if they're not doing the like for like spot replications. And how much did that show itself in that final stretch? Darby Allen thinks he's got the old dog beat, and CM Punk sits up and chuckles. From the coffin drop. With millimetre precision. Oh, and that's it. Millimetre precision. So you can't spot the gap. We always say this about Brett's punches. You can't spot the gap in the work. That's how good CM Punk's work was. He is Brett. Darby Allen takes a risk. He is the one, two, three kid. Punk gets to be the veteran. That was a slight nod to Eddie Guerrero, who he put over in the um, a really great road to a sit down with Jim Ross. But that to lead, for that to lead to the finishing sequence of Darby Allen believing he's got the old dog beat, but the old dog still got a couple of new tricks right through to that luxurious set of captures reversals that leads to effectively Punk catching Darby Allen in the go to sleep. He's just about out wrestled him enough to hit it and his kill shot still works. So yes, he's beaten Darby, whereas Cody was taken to the limit in a draw, but there's very much that kind of visual medium. I know, and it's a podcast, but very much that kind of whew, wiping the sweat off his brow that he caught him with a go to sleep tonight because there's that sense that he might have not have caught him with it tomorrow. And what CM Punk's story in AEW, in my opinion, has got to be is this. Yeah. Over and over again. It's got to be. He's not going to win them all, but he's got to win a lot through testing himself. And he's got to win a lot of matches through. Like if he comes back and he has five stars on night one, yes, it's awesome. And yes, you can't wait to see who else he works. But like, where do you go from that? Like, you expect CM Punk to show up in his next match and do it again, and then he doesn't, and it's like, oh, is this guy a one-trick pony? No, he's been away seven years, and the game has changed in front of him, and he wants to put that over. He wants to put across the idea that if he comes back to WWE, he should main event WrestleMania against Roman Reigns. Yeah, that's what he should do in WWE. There is no other story than that, because it's like, I was the best in the world in 2013. I don't believe that this product has advanced, that I'm still not the best in the world. Who's the best? Roman Reigns. I'm going to fight you and prove it. He's coming back to this company to say, not only do I believe I'm the best in the world, I'm scared that I'm not, so I'm going to show it against every single one of these young guys, and by the way, it's going to be a fucking blast because I'm Punk and I'm Phil at the same time. This was stunning. I don't know if it's going to be everybody's match of the year, but it's mine for feelings rather than for thoughts. And it's the perfect personification of what we're talking about here, introducing fans through the, the conduit of CM Punk to this other wrestling promotion. Hide the stories. Like, bring the effectively a celebrity into this world which is going to bring the pull with it but hide the stories within it <laughs> the rock right let's just talk about i don't want to bury the rock or particularly WWE because it's not that kind of podcast but like you've got a lapse fan in and they're watching wrestlemania 32 and they're looking at the watch because like this is hang on but then the rock comes out and it's like ah, oh, I'm, I'm awake again because the rock's here hamflick why is he uh, setting fire to his name i don't know like they're oh look at these woodsmen they look pretty tough 
Oh, he's beaten one in six seconds, and he's <laughs> and he's called the most dangerous one. A, I don't know whatever he was. He said a fat butcher or something like that. <laughs> rubbish, rubbish, rock bottom, out of there. But like, is that laps fan going to want to watch Raw tomorrow night? They're going to say, "Do you think the Rock will be on Raw?" No, definitely not. I've seen a year. <laughs> like that, there's just no, there's no story, is there? This is the polar opposite of that. Yes, exactly, and just incredible. Uh, weigh in for, for lapsed fans and anyone who maybe was convinced to get into AEW because I don't know someone called the shot that CM Punk was going to return to wrestling <laughs> just, uh, just, uh, just top, top of my head and if they got it wrong in 2020 maybe it would have happened if there hadn't have been a pandemic so they're probably right that year as well just a thought to end on. Uh, anyway, check out the rest of this list at whatculture.com. 10 essential AEW matches for new fans. Uh, and make sure you watch Scott's video as well on What Culture Wrestling's YouTube channel about how AEW made him fall in love with wrestling again. And let us know your thoughts on how you maybe have got lapsed fans back into wrestling via AEW and which matches you have shown to them. At What Culture WWE on Twitter. Watch there. You can follow Michael Hamlet at. Thank you so much for not using the soundboard on this specific podcast at Michael Hamlet. You can follow me at Adam Wilburn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling called podcasts. As I said, later on today, our AEW Dynamite Grand Slam review will be out. And check out uh, Hamlet's article 10 Essential AEW Matches for New Fans at WhatCulture.com. But for now, my thanks to the article's author, Michael Hamlet. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.